This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we learn how to engage the methods of rabbinical teaching and unpack what a rabbi is trying to accomplish with his cryptic instructions. Indeed. Why? Why do you teach the people in parables? So they won't understand, Brent. So they won't understand. It's good. I should probably point out, uh, just in case, your event, your yes. weekend event coming up. Talked about it last podcast. Hayamim. Yes. Uh, May 3rd, 4th, and kind of May 5th, yep. 2019, if you're in the Boise area, check it out. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back to episode 109, which is just prior to this one, Yeah, and uh, and listen to that. We'll explain the whole deal. Can we throw the uh, online RSVP in the show notes one more time? We will put the link in the show notes. All right. And uh, yeah, anybody that's in Southern Idaho, within an hour or two of Boise. Do not fly. Treasure Valley? Yeah, don't come from around the country. Do not don't do road that trip. Yet. Don't do that. I mean, you can. Nobody's going to stop you as long as you RSVP. But uh, I'm I'm telling you, it's probably not what you want to do yet. Maybe someday. We'll come to you. We'll come to you. Don't you worry. You just let me know you want me to come to your town. I don't know uh-huh. how many people this is going to be applicable to. If you're simultaneously caught up enough to be hearing this in time <laughs> to take action to on it. Southern and happen to be in Southern Idaho. <laughs> and for some reason didn't listen to episode 109. But hey... You never know how you people find know. this podcast. You never so know. People have to hear things multiple times. Yeah. Maybe some people are like, oh, yeah, I didn't sign up for that. All right. So let's get back into the text. All right. We're just going to we're going to do the same thing again, Brent. Let's read the next parable. And, and our listeners are like, but wait, you left the last parable hanging. Indeed. Just trust me on this one. But we're going to read the next parable uh, in its entirety. Not nearly as long as the last one. And then we're going to talk about some things here today. So, Brent, give us the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. All right, so Jesus is going to start this whole Matthew 13 as this collection of the kingdom is like parables. Like Jesus is going to tell all these parables, and they're all going to start with the kingdom of heaven is like blank, and the kingdom of heaven is like blank, and the kingdom of heaven is like blank. This is a bunch of teaching on the kingdom and what the kingdom is and what it's like from Jesus, and he uses parables to do that. Now, what we're going to do is I want to teach, I want to teach on the... Um, there is a method, there is a mechanic, if you will, there is a, I hate the word formula, but if there were, <laughs> that's what you've been dancing around this whole time. I know, I can, anything but that word. If there is one, I want to teach on it. And I am just as Western as any one of our listeners. I might be Jewish, but I'm no more Eastern than any of our listeners are. So I will, owe, you need to know this up front. We're Westerners, so we love the straight lines, and we love the practicality, and we love the formulaic nature of these things. We love to make things—I know you love to talk about rules versus principles, or laws versus principles. Um, the law of first mention versus the principle of first mention. That's just, that's just our Western nature. We want something to be solid and complete 
accurate. Accurate. Which is why I push back on that. The law of first mention does not always work. It doesn't right. always apply. So right. it's like, you can't call it a law then. It's, right. it's more of a principle. Absolutely. And those are our Western sensibilities coming through. Not, not in all their gory ugliness. There's some beauty to that. Now, having said that, I overdo the... Um, the mechanic that we're going to go over here. I can I can make it too rigid. I can make it too structured. And I often do, and I have to catch myself, and I have to backpedal. You as a listener, once you learn this, are going to want to overdo it. And that's, that's going to be a part of the process. Learn how to use this. I am going to kind of overstructure it and its explanation just so that we can grasp it. But realize how many exceptions, realize how fluid, how loose these methods work for an Eastern thinker. But we've talked about this already, Brent, you've already kind of pointed this out, um, this method that we call Pardes. But before we even get into Pardes, let me uh, make one point first. Um, We need to come back to this idea when Jesus was asked by us, what you brought up at the beginning of the podcast, when Jesus was asked by his disciples, why do you teach like this? Jesus says... So that people won't understand, which just to our Western ears is like, what? Like, then why even bother teaching at all if you're teaching so that people won't understand? So the very first thing we need to realize about Jewish, what I'm calling Jewish hermeneutics for this episode, there is a way in which a Jewish teacher and a Jewish student approaches rabbinical teaching. There's a, there is a set of assumptions that they're going to use. The first thing we need to realize is that a rabbi is using a parable to make the teaching harder, more difficult, not easier. A parable is not going to make the learning process easier. It's going to make it more complex, more complicated, more difficult, which is exactly why Jesus told his disciples, I teach in parables so that people won't understand me. I'm trying on purpose, Jesus says, to make it more difficult. So the key to understanding learning in an Eastern context, and we this would take us all the way back. If we went all the way back, Brent, to our introduction, I think it was like episode zero, we would talk about the difference between Eastern versus Western thought. That was our introduction episode. And then later through session one, we kept talking about it because we said that the Eastern method of teaching was built upon the premise of what, Brent? Can you remember? One word. An Easterner wants you to experience almost okay it's a d word mm. starts with the d and ends with discovery <laughs> hmm, i don't know <laughs> yeah so the easterner wants you to discover truth uh everything hinges on the idea of discovery um an easterner believes that you understand a thesis you understand a proposition you understand truth so much better than you would if i just explained it to you like if i just sat here brent and explained something to you you could learn something you could learn it very thoroughly. I hope so. All our entire Western systems of education are built on that premise. Like you explain it and you learn it. But the Easterner says, I learn it more intimately. And the word you did use to begin with was the word experience, right? I, I, I experience the truth. That's the discovery portion. And so that means that a good Eastern teacher is not going to just teach something flat out. They're going to try to bury the truth in the process of discovery. So how, if you're a rabbi and you're going to teach, you're going to sit down on a mountainside and you're going to teach, how are you going to have, on one hand, a belief that your disciples need to discover something, and on the other hand, a proposition to teach them? Well, you're going to have to use tools that enable them to discover that truth. And so this requires a certain level. And expectation, by the way, on the student's part. 
like they have to expect this, but the rabbi has a certain level of work built into the learning process. Not everyone is going to be willing to engage learning in this way. But for people who are willing to do the digging, they will unearth treasures that the teacher has buried, all because of the process of discovery. Those truths will do so much more. Those truths will do so much more work than they would as just simple propositions, if you will. So Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, "I teach in parables." What he's essentially saying is not that I don't want people to understand me, but what he is saying is, "I teach in parables because not everybody in here wants the truth." They don't really want to understand, which is why he quoted Isaiah 6, which we talked about in the last podcast. I teach them in parables because not everybody wants to do the work. Not everybody actually wants to enter the kingdom. I mean, how many people in our churches are—let me just rephrase it this way. How, how much of our churches are full of people that want to be a part of the Jesus thing, but they don't actually want to do the work of the kingdom? It was no different for Jesus' world than it is for ours. And how often, now that, we, now that we are thinking this way, how often do we cater to that? Like, how often have I sat in a discussion about preaching and sermon where we try to cater to the lowest common denominator? That's just not how rabbinic teaching worked. I'm going to cater to the highest common denominator because those are the people that actually want to engage us. Those are the people that are actually going to bring kingdom. What was the image that we had, Brent, of John the Baptist? And what kind of a kingdom did we talk about? The, the fiery go conquer kingdom. Right. And we had an image of calves that were, we actually had a video of, of sheep, actually. And what were they doing as the gate was opened? Oh, yes. Uh, they were they were bursting out. They were this explosive kingdom, right? This kingdom is not for people that sit back in the corner and are like, oh, well, I'll, when all the other sheep get out of the gate, then I'll go strolling through. Like the kingdom is for people that want it. What did we learn about Jacob and Esau? God, all the way back in session one, God wants a Jacob who's willing to have a little fire and a little chutzpah. He'll take that, a little misguided fire, over an apathetic Esau, like, eh, I just don't really even care. Like, we've seen this before. This is the same story that we've encountered all the way back in session one. So for these parables, Jesus's audience, he's still in the Galilee at this point, right? Yes, absolutely. So he's got a pretty strong Jewish audience, although there may be some people from some of the pagan towns perhaps wandering up into the crowd. Could be. Depends on how we all read it, but yeah, sure. So it seems like a lot of these people would already, and maybe this goes back to the, the parable of the soils, all of the soil in some way received it. Correct. All of these Jews went through their learning process and studied the text right. thoroughly. So it seems like most of them would have the tools they need to understand this. Yeah. And yet they don't actually want to do the work. Right. Yeah, the parable of the soils is a great way to phrase it. Because if you did have pagans, Gentiles, and outsiders, you might be able to call that the path. They don't have the tools to receive it. Um, they, they don't have the the goods. They don't have the training in the scriptures. But then you, you are going to have the rocky soil and the thorns. You are going to have people that do have the tools, but weren't willing to actually build the depth into their life to make it solidif- like solidify that. The, the root system there, or you're going to have people that totally get it, but they're not willing to give up like the Herodian worldview. Like, I, yeah, I understand my text. I was trained in the text, but I'm not sure I want to give up my luxury and my comfort um, for that. So it might be a great way to frame, frame, frame that whole understanding of it. Okay. So now let's get into this whole Pardes thing. We've talked about Pardes, capital P, little a, capital R, capital D, little E, 
capital S, the P, the R, the D, and the S. And this pardes word references these four levels of Jewish hermeneutic. And so I want to go through these levels, and I want to think back to that last, we left the parable of the soils hanging, and I want to go back and kind of examine that parable on all these levels. So first, let's deal with the level of Peshat in all of its glory. Peshat is surface level reading. The Peshat meaning of a parable is the one that is easiest to discern and has the shallowest depth. Most Christian Bible students are familiar with this level of teaching and nothing else. The truth is found on a Peshat level can be incredibly profound and profoundly applied. So what I'm not trying to say is that Peshat is shallow and that there's nothing profound in it or there's... But when we go to Bible college and we're taught how to exegete the scriptures, we're taught, we're taught the process of exegesis is a word that we often use in Bible college circles, expository preaching, where you look at a passage, you're looking, you're trying to glean the proposition directly from the passage and then preach on that proposition. That's all Peshat because you're gleaning that proposition from where, Brent? From your surface reading. From just a surface level reading. And it's not that there's not profound, biblically, biblically deep. Like how, many of our, like how many of us have heard sermons that were really good sermons, right? And yet they came from a Peshat level reading. So I'm not saying by shallow that it's not profound or that it's not effective. Or not true. Or not true. There are many great preachers and teachers who can take Peshat-level teaching and make it come alive and dance in a way that is a blessing to others. This is a gift of the Western world. Like, that's something we've brought when we go back to that bass chord that we talked about all the way back in session zero, or excuse me, episode zero, like that bass chord. Part of the bass chord that we've brought is an ability to do stuff with Peshat that is wide and colorful and beautiful. Um, such a statement uh, brings up a couple points, by the way, as we look at this. Uh, and you already said the one. The first statement that I have here in my notes, there's nothing wrong with Peshat. There's nothing wrong with Peshat. Even though the learner on this level is swimming in the shallow end, there's nothing wrong with the meaning that can be mined from Peshat reading of the text. The deeper levels are not more true. They're not more inspired than Peshat. The, de- the different levels will not contradict each other. As Western Christianity has proven, we can spend centuries on this level and not exhaust the truths that it contains. Those statements are so important. And the, the second statement I would make is this. If a person does not know their text, Peshat is all they're left with. Like realize what you've pointed out already, Brent, this Jewish culture had their text what? They had it memorized. They had it memorized. But how many of our... <laughs> How much text do you have memorized, Brent? Mm, an embarrassingly small amount. Yeah, I'm not doing a whole lot. Even with all the time I've put into it, I'm not doing a whole lot better. Like I couldn't these these ill-equipped disciples could still run circles around me a hundred times over. Um, but when we don't have text, now here's a beautiful thing: we do have something called the internet, and it is wonderful and its ability to tie us into these truths that we're going to look at today. But for those of us that don't have that, that's all, that's all we have. This makes the preceding, uh, those preceding thoughts about how there's nothing wrong with Peshat, it makes that uh, even more of a blessing because understanding Jewish hermeneutics does not make the student more learned or give them special access to special truths that aren't av- uh, available to the ignorant. It's not like once you hear this podcast, you're now going to be equipped with the secret keys to the hidden manna of God. That's not how this works. This is a good thing. 
90% of Christian teaching, exegetical interpretation, and expository preaching are based on nothing more than Peshat. So let's think back, Brent, just to the parable of the soils. What would you say is just a good Peshat? What's the Peshat takeaway of the parable of soils? There's, I mean, the analogy is, is fairly straightforward. You know, everyone's going to be familiar with the farming. You've got different types of soils and different different soil qualities will give you different kinds of crops. And the explanation of Jesus on those four soils that came at the end of the passage where he explained who they were, that's all Peshat, right? You can just read it and just glean it. And I'm sure that there were probably listeners, maybe not all of our listeners, but I bet there were probably listeners when we unpacked that last week in our last podcast that, that probably had never even considered the fact that it wasn't a parable of the sower, that it was a parable of the soils. Like, I'm sure there were listeners that were like, oh my goodness, I've never thought of that. Like, which soil am I? And that was a profound moment for them that came straight off of Peshat, just just Peshat. Like, Peshat still has an unbelievable ability to do that. Um, so I just really have to drill that into people. It's not that Peshat is less valuable, less inspired, none of that. But let's move on to the next level. The next level is called Remez. So Remez, literally in the Hebrew, just means hint. And Remez is that connection to what, Brent? To an Old Testament scripture. Old Testament scripture, the Hebrew scriptures, right? However, the Jewish student who has put their time into the text, who has the text memorized, the rabbi has hidden a special treasure that is unlocked with the familiarity of the text. Notice this is about the treasure hunt. The rabbi has purposely buried a remez because he wants the student to what, Brent? What was the word? To discover. He wants the student to discover something. And so that student has to find the key. Uh, I was in Missoula this summer, last summer in June, and we did one of those puzzle rooms. Like a parable is like a gigantic textual puzzle room. Have you have you been to one of these puzzle rooms yet, Brent? I have, yeah. Where where, would, where did you go when you were in one? It was uh, Lewiston, Idaho. Oh, really? They have one down in Lewiston? Yep. Oh, no way. Was it any good? Yeah. Okay. I like that. So you go searching through this... Uh... <laughs> Everybody could have seen the facial I expressions. I don't know how to explain, like, you know, it would take way too long. Yeah. But the whole point of the room is to find these keys, right? You've got to find these discoveries, not physical keys sometimes, but you, you're trying to make all these discoveries to unlock a parable. It's like a gigantic textual puzzle room, right? The rabbi buries what is called a remes into the teaching, uh, and the remes is going to link that student to a passage in the Hebrew scriptures, that will give context the deeper meaning that the teacher is driving at. So every one of the soils, Brent, if you remember what you read, had a remez. I think if I think Jesus did that on purpose because the point of the parable was to get you to consider which what? Which soil are you? Which soil are That was Peshat. But if I'm lucky enough to know my text, I'm going to catch with every single soil, like whatever soil I identify with, there's going to be a remez for me. And so we looked at, if I was the path, we looked at Hosea 10. And if I was the rocky soil, we looked at Isaiah 5. And if I was the thorns, we looked at Jeremiah 4. Which, by the way, which, uh, which soil did we not touch in our remas, Brent? We didn't talk about the good soil. We didn't talk about the good soil. But what was it about the good soil that you noticed, by the way? Uh, the, by the way, the thing, like, if you start looking for this, if you're like, okay, I want to start finding the remezas. And by the way, we're talking about parable mechanics here. This is most true about parables as far as 
the formula working as far as the mechanics of it. This works most cleanly in parables because parables are designed to work this way. But I am of the persuasion, feel free to disagree with me, I am of the persuasion that this is just generally how a Jew approaches any rabbinical teaching. So I've mentioned before on the podcast that whenever Jesus opens his mouth, he's talking about text. What I mean is I think whenever Jesus opens his mouth, there's a remez. You need to find the remez because that's going to link you to something deeper that Jesus is driving at. Now, when you start learning how to ask that question, whenever you're dealing with anything that Jesus said and you're like, what is the remez? One of the ways that you can look at it is what, what were you doing when you noticed that, Brent? You noticed what phrase was it? Uh, the hundred... 60 and 30 times. Right. And what was it? What, why did you notice that? Well, first of all, it seems kind of specific. Okay. Maybe grandiose. Okay. Uh, and also the numbers are backwards. Okay. Uh, it just, it seems weird. Why, why that would you phrase, explain it? It seems weird. That's the phrase that I love. If you go all the way back to session one, and remember when we talked about Genesis, we often talked about noticing the what in the text, Brent. The, the stuff that stands out, the stuff that doesn't fit in the story. Right. We always talk about the problems, right? The problems in the text. When you're looking at a rabbinical teaching, notice the problems. Notice the things that don't belong. Like one of these things is not like the other, that kind of song. Like notice those things because 160-30 stands out. And some translations even translate the numbers in the right way because they're like, well, why did I do that? And they, <laughs> Which drives me crazy because it is 160-30. And some translations will change it to 30, 60, 100. What is going on there? That jumps out at you. So, it's, so we're talking about Ramez, Brent. Well, we'll just shortcut this for our listeners. Did you know that the word hundredfold, outside of the teaching of Jesus, the word hundredfold only shows up one time in all of Scripture? What's the address, Brent? Genesis 26. Genesis 26, verse 12. This is a story, and in fact, we're going to link the podcast episode. This was episode 12 of session one. It shows up in the story of Isaac. So just to review, that's the episode that we call The Mission Realized, because what's happening in Isaac's life, we basically go through the entire life of Isaac in one chapter in Genesis. And what he does is he kind of relives in reverse the critical moments of Abraham's life, his father's life. And the story Genesis 26 starts with Isaac committing the same sin his father committed with the whole deceiving people into thinking his sister is his wife thing. Only this time it's even more dramatically um, in error, should we say. And Abimelech gets furious at Isaac because whether it was the same Abimelech or you can go back and listen to the episode. But Abimelech sends him away and says, nobody needs to touch this guy. And then we're told, uh, what's your verse? Read your verse. This is where verse 12 shows up. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Only other use of a hundredfold in all the scriptures talks about somebody staying in the land and, and planting a crop. The story will then go on from there in the following verses to talk about Isaac's going to get, he's going to start opening wells. He's going to become very wealthy. And he's going to start reopening the wells that his father opened, and everybody's going to come out and start arguing with it. And rather than Isaac stomping his feet and demanding his rights and all of those things, if we remember right, what did Isaac do, Brent? He, he said, okay, you can have it, and moved yep. on and made another one. Made another one, then moved on and made another one, and eventually it ends, and he finally has a well that nobody quarrels over. And at the end of the story, if we remember, Abimelech who starts the story by kicking out Isaac and saying, I don't want to ever see you again. Nobody better touch him. 
comes back at the end of the story, and Abimelech and his people come out to Isaac, and they say, we see that the Lord is with you. And that's why we called it a mission realized. But I, there's a, ref, there's a remez here. When Jesus talks about the good soil, he remezes this chapter. Why? I think it's because Isaac becomes the model. Yes, Isaac has his own moments of screwing things up, but he decides that it's his role to stay in the land and hang on to and hold true to the promises of God and the mission of his father. And because he does that, because he leans into the story that was being told in his father, the mission of God begins to be realized. And I think Jesus is saying, if you guys will hang in here and stay in the land and sow generosity and reap righteousness, and unfailing love, and all those things that he remezzed and those other. If you'll stay here and be and persevere, persevere with faithfulness in the thing that God has called you to, the mission of God will work. The mission of God will work. Now, what are we doing, Brent? Well, we're actually linking ourselves to what I just did there in the last two minutes was I linked us to the drosh. So the so we've talked about Peshat. We've talked about Remes, and so in short, once a student has interacted with the Peshat teaching of the text, their intimate knowledge of the text allows them to find the treasure map, or the Remes, and this Remes is going to lead them to the Drash. Drash is the idea of truth hidden in story. Once a student has found the hint in the text, they are given tools that are going to help them unlock and understand the deeper meanings of the rabbi's teaching. It should be noted here that the remez in the teaching is always up for debate. Like, we want to make this clean. We want to make this true. I will say, though, in the case of Genesis 26, when you find a thing that only occurs one other time in Scripture, that's about as good as you can get. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, there there are many times where it's like you're looking stuff up and it's like, okay, well, that's 50 times in the Old Testament. This one's 25 times. And it's like, how do you know? How do you know? Right. Absolutely. And I do believe, I have wrestled with in the past, I do think that a rabbi has, like, did Jesus have one singular intent when he told the parable? I I do believe that. Not everybody would. I, I do. I believe that Jesus had an intent, and I believe that that's the intent that matters. It can be a multifaceted intent. His intent, like in the soils, I think he had four different remezes with a drosh for every soil. Like, it can be unbelievably complex. If you find yourself as this kind of soil, this is what you need to understand, and this is the path you need to go on. And that discovery unlocked because of the remes, right? Okay. So it's always up for debate. But oftentimes there might not be only one remez intended for the teaching. In light of this, it stands to reason that the drosh is never a simple idea. Please do not confuse this method that we're talking about as Bible code. Like this is not a Bible code. Like if you decipher the code, you get this one singular. It's unbelievably nuanced and complex rabbinical method. There is not some hidden proposition found by applying a code to the text. In fact, Jewish hermeneutics demands the interaction of more than one student. The remez and the drash have to be, have to be Brent. They have to be discussed, examined, critiqued as a group in the process of group discovery in order for true discovery to take place. This is why learning is done in the context of a havara, 
I think we've used the word Havara before. The Havara, Jesus' 12 disciples formed a Havara. These 12 guys would have sat around. When Jesus told a parable, I can imagine his 12 disciples sitting around the campfire that night while Jesus sleeps. And I picture him kind of rolling over one eye open with a smirk on his face as he listens to his 12 students wrestle with, okay, let's go over that parable that Jesus told today. What did he tell? What do you think the remez was? He told them the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Like, what do you think the remez was? And one, and Judas thinks one thing, and Peter thinks something else. And of course, Matthew's over here with a totally different idea, and they're all arguing. And based on what they come up with as they think about a remez will affect the drosh that they pull out of the teaching. This is, a, this is an in-depth process that you don't solve with Google. This is why, for the last two and a half years, we've been pounding discussion groups into you guys. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this it, works so much better in a group environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the parable is designed to confound and perplex. The parable is a form of teaching that is provocative and difficult. It is not a teaching method that is supposed to bring surface clarity to the material. In fact, the parable often confounds the reader into even more wrestling. But that is the point. All of these disciples wrestling with the parable and now wrestling with the text. What more could we ask for? Like, I love that parables make people wrestle with the text because the answer really isn't that blasted important, which sounds like heresy to a Western thinker. But the answer is not that important. But wrestling with the text is because that's where the power lies. Okay, let's talk about the last level, Brent. Sowed. We won't discuss this level um, like in any depth here in this moment, but it bears mentioning that the fourth and deepest level of Jewish interpretation is called sod. Sod is connected to mystery and cannot be learned or taught. No matter how hard I try, I can't teach you sod, Brent. We can't teach any listener on this podcast sod. We've got a great example of sod coming up just a, just a few chapters from where we are we now. We do. Absolutely. I'm going to actually reference it here in just a moment. Sod is a supernatural gift from God, or we might even say the Holy Spirit. So um, when Jesus taught on the parable of the sower, he said, um, they said, why do you teach people in parables? And he said, I teach them so they won't understand. And then at some point in his explanation, Jesus says, but to, but to you have been given what, Brent? Do you remember? Where's the uh, verse? Do you I'm have it? I'm find it here. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. What verse is that? Matthew 13? 11. 11. The, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. What Jesus just talked about there specifically is sowed. When they said, why do you teach in parables? One of the things that Jesus says is, is because they won't understand, but I've seen God at work in you. Because I can't, I mean, yes, Jesus is God, but Jesus as a rabbi could not teach them sowed. I think the reason that Jesus chose the 12 disciples that he chose, according to these words, is because he saw God at work in their lives. He looks at them and he says, I know God is giving you sowed. I've seen it in you. And because God is giving you sowed, that's why I chose you. And you, you're right. In just a few chapters here in Matthew 16, we're going to bump into Peter's great confession at Caesarea Philippi. And Peter's going to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response is what, Brent? Can you remember? Uh, this is not something revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. Absolutely. Like yep. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for, my, for man did not reveal this to you, 
You could not have learned this in a classroom, Peter. What you just said, no human being could have taught you. What you just said came from God. That is sowed. That's sowed. So we won't ever unpack sowed because we can't. Sowed is given by God and the Holy Spirit. That's where sowed comes from. Our listeners will get sowed. I think I've had many students have sowed. It's awesome. I love to see God move in those unique, special ways. But it's not something that we're ever going to be able to teach on our podcast. So this whole discussion is designed to help us realize that there's so much more under the surface of Jewish teaching than we realize. There is still so much more to learn and so much more to hear. Again, we are confronted with the need to know our text and to greatly increase our familiarity with the Hebrew Scriptures. I am not going to try to convince you of this in this podcast alone, but I will let the parables themselves do the teaching in the weeks to come. But I will raise a question if we do not understand the deeper levels and ultimate intentions of Jesus's teachings, how can we call ourselves as followers? I can remember Ray telling me some of the stories that I found most moving about his time studying at Yeshiva University when he would say that a rabbi would be teaching on some Old Testament text, some Hebrew scripture text. And the teacher would turn to him and say, Ray, your rabbi, Jesus, he had a foundation, a, a, a phenomenal teaching on this scripture. Tell us about your teaching. Obviously, the rabbi re- referencing Jesus doing what? What part of the, what uh, part, of the part is? The remez, I the guess. The remez, right? Yeah. This this rabbi, this Orthodox Jewish rabbi who doesn't even follow Jesus, saying, I know of a teaching where your rabbi, Jesus, taught something incredible on this Old Testament passage. And Ray, not knowing his text, which sounds crazy, I can't even believe those words come out of my mouth, but there must have been a day where he sat in a room full of trained Jews and went, I, he said, I had no idea what the rabbi was talking about. And so the rabbi would go, hey, and he would go on to talk about what Jesus had done with the teaching in one of his, in one of his teachings, probably a parable. And Ray said, I would sit in the back of the class and I would just cry because I didn't know, I didn't really know the teachings of my Jesus. I thought I did. I had been raised in the teachings of Jesus my whole life, but I didn't know what Jesus was actually doing as a Jewish rabbi. And therefore I didn't really truly understand Jesus. And man, when I learned some of these things about Jewish hermeneutics, I go, how much of Jesus is teaching? We act like experts. We run around in the church and we act like experts on Jesus. And we have no clue the things that Jesus was up to and the things that Jesus was doing. And I hope that this unlocks so many beautiful things, especially about the parables. But I'm telling you, when we're done with Matthew 13, I think it's going to change the way you view anything that Jesus says and teaches. And you're going to go, okay, wait a minute, what is Jesus teaching on? And you start realizing that everything is based on the Old Testament. Everything's based on the Hebrew scriptures. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fill your theology with color and meaning that you never realized was there. Actually, it's going to fill you with, con- with <laughs> hopefully not condemnation, it's going to fill you with conviction because the teachings of Jesus for people that are consider themselves religious that consider themselves his followers. His teachings go for the juggler. And they just say, really? Because if you really understood what I was teaching, you would do this. And we're going to go, oh, I don't know if I do that. And that those are the moments that I just, I, I just live for. But at any rate, any of our listeners going, okay, but this podcast was on the parable of the 
What, Brent? The weeds. The weeds. We purposely are going to leave that parable hanging because Jesus is going to come back to it here in just a few paragraphs. And the the disciples are going to come to him and they're going to say, Jesus, explain to us the parable of the weeds. And we're going to talk about what Jesus does when they do that. So we'll be back to the parable of the weeds. We purposely left it hanging. But I would challenge our listeners, Brent. They now have the tools. They know how to look for Peshat. They know how to look for Ramez. BibleGateway.com, by the way, is your best friend when you want to look for Ramez. Uh, you can search in keywords and get every passage, at least in your English translations, where that word comes up. They can wrestle with a drosh, and maybe God will even give them sowed. But they now have the tools. So our listeners should be able to look at the parable of the weeds, and their first question should be, what's the Peshat meaning of the weeds? They, should, they could write down a few propositions, a few things that they think are true. They could jump on BibleGateway.com. They could do some word searches and try to figure out what the remez is for the weeds. And if they found a remez, it could help them wrestle with the drush. They at least could do that on their own. I look forward to receiving the emails. On their own, or better yet, in a group, <laughs> in their havara. We have lots of Bema havaras all around the world now. It's getting crazy. They sh- It is. <laughs> The map gets more and more interesting every every time I look at it. Peru, Bolivia, Haiti, UK, Australia. Many of these unofficial. Canada, yeah. I know about them. They don't want anybody else to know, apparently. Half of them do. But yeah, it's it's really cool to watch that. So yeah, find other people. Lots of people out there struggling because they want to talk about this with other people. So get out there and... Find somebody else. Uh, I think you mentioned a, a reference that you wanted to give people for this episode as well. Yes, thank you very much. So, um, because this is such a central method to understanding the teachings of Jesus, uh, we are going to post in the show notes a link to the blog post I, read, I wrote on this back in 2015. And you'll realize that all I did for this podcast is just read the blog post. <laughs> More or less. I mean, we added added some color. We added some color. But if you need to be able to go back and be like, okay, I want to see that in written form, my blog post is linked in the show notes, and you can have quick access to, okay, what is Peshat, and what is Ramez, and all of that. There's even like this nice little painting of Jesus teaching his disciples. Absolutely. You get the little glowy circle things around their heads like they used to do in the art world. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Whatever that means. (laughs) Absolutely. So there you go. That, hopefully that's a useful tool for anybody that needs it. All right. So you can find any details you need about the show at com. Thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.